why should a customer give you attention enough that they should pull their wallet out and buy your product? So if you don't get that value, and if people only see you as a vitamin and not a painkiller, that's hard because there's a lot of really cool generative AI type SaaS products and tools that have come out this past year where they had this astronomical rise and then drop. It's because they were vitamins. And that was a really like big issue for some of these things. And as I talked to investors who evaluate these businesses, we didn't want to be just a vitamin. So we had to continue to also figure out how do you retain these customers and create value for them. Hi, and welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president of Blast Media, and I will be both your host and your bartender today. Had an awesome conversation with Chris Ramaneni, who is the CEO and founder of Fireflies.ai. Chris and I are diving into making the case and building a self-service sales model. And I understand that for those of you who work in enterprise exclusively, this may or may not seem of interest to you, but spoil alert, Krish is moving upstream with Fireflies and is also going to be utilizing many of the self-serve buyer philosophies for the enterprise. So we're going to dive into how you should think about structuring both a free trial and freemium model and his thoughts around transparent pricing and how he's built a successful company using a PLG and self-serve model with Fireflies.ai. So if you'd care to, grab yourself a drink and join me in my Tito's and soda as I speak with Krish from Fireflies AI. Hey, Krish, welcome to SaaS Half Full. Hi, Lindsay. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. You and I have not had a chance to meet before, so I am glad to make your acquaintance we have a lot of things we could have talked about today. We went back and forth with you and your team and where we drilled down was the era of the self-service buyer, what that really means, what companies need to be doing in order to survive. So looking forward to diving into that. Understand we were unable to get you a cocktail or a mocktail kit, but as our listeners know, that does not matter to me. I am drinking a Tito's and soda, which is usually my go-to. So cheers. It is good to meet you. Before we dive into our topic, Krish, I want to give our listeners just understanding of you and your background um, as founder and CEO of Fireflies.ai. How did that journey come to be? Were you already in B2B software? Was that a market that you were familiar with? Just tell us about your journey. Yeah, my journey actually started at Microsoft right after college. And I was a PM there. I left college and I was at Microsoft working on various projects, both at Office as well as some of their customer data initiatives. I think more so than the initiatives that I worked on, what I learned a lot was about the culture of working at a large corporate company and how much time is spent in meetings and how if we want to get anything done, it has to be at meetings. And I would see like executives have their secretaries or business admins follow them around. That's where the idea really started from is how can I get everyone an AI assistant or a personal secretary? And so that started the journey. It was really fun to be able to fly out to Boston, meet my co-founder who I've known since college. He was just graduating at MIT. And Sam and I just started working on during the summer. I was supposed to go to grad school in October, but then I decided to say no to that in Cambridge. And then we just flew out to San Francisco and got started. But it's not been a straightforward journey. We've worked on like five different projects, crazy pivots, before we ended up falling in love with the space around what we're working on right now. Fast forward, launched in January 2020. Then COVID happened. A few 
weeks later. And that really just accelerated things. And it's been crazy ever since. I can imagine. So is Sam still part of the business as co-founder? Yes. Yeah. He's our co-founder. Well, congratulations in that. That is not often the case for those aspiring entrepreneurs. Any advice you would have in creating a healthy and successful co-founder relationship? I think you want people that can balance each other. Ultimately, values matter. And then how driven and passionate you are. Startups is one of those things where you're going to get punched in the face every other day. And I think success is determined by your willingness to keep getting up. And if you have a co-founder that has that same sort of energy, it makes life a lot easier. So I think that's the most important thing is make sure you and your co-founders are on the same page about your goals, your values and grit. Yeah, balance is key. My partner and I both understand what we're really good at. We also understand where our gaps are. And we're able to lean on each other in that way. Having that balance is definitely key for us as well. And for those that don't know what Fireflies.ai does, can you give us the speed dating version of that? Why do you all exist? Yeah, so Fireflies is an AI meeting assistant. It joins your video conferencing calls across Zoom, Google Meet, Microsoft Teams, all the other video conferencing platforms you can think of out there. It takes notes, summarizes the conversations, helps you create a searchable record of all of your information that you can go back to. It's really like your team's knowledge base of all of your conversations. We've also just yesterday announced our mobile app. So we're going beyond video conferencing and can help people transcribe, summarize, and organize all of their in-person meetings. And we're continuing to work on that. But we believe that the most important information originates from conversations. That's where knowledge is buried inside orgs. And we want to help people uncover that and capture all of those insights. Awesome. And you have historically grown Fireflies through a, a PLG motion, self-service. How did you know that was the right move for you to start that as your sales process? When we started, we got advice from different people on how to go about this differently. And usually the decision depends for a lot of people on the market appetite, the cost of providing the service, how readily is it available and understood, and the functions of how your product works. Is it hard to use? Is it require like enterprise level education? So all of those things are important factors. The advice we got in the beginning was, hey, this technology is really expensive, voice, transcription, AI. So find a market where you can sell it to the highest bidder, which is salespeople, and charge them up the wazoo, like 150 to $200 a seat, which some of our competitors or other enterprises do that do top-down sales. But my co-founder and I's strength wasn't in that. We wanted to build something that was super affordable, super easy to install and get going with. And our value prop was it should be one-tenth the price of like the best product on the market, and we need to provide 10x the value. And it needs to be used by every person inside an organization, not just salespeople. So with those sort of things, it just felt that the best way to go to market was creating something that had a freemium, free trial, PLG, product-led growth motion, where you can try it before you buy it, or you can use the free tier perpetually. You can go through the entire experience without having to talk to sales. And our general philosophy here at Fireflies is allow the customer to buy the way they want. And if the customer has to talk to sales or support or marketing for the most basic stuff, then I consider that as a bug. And 
we want to make sure that like you do not need to talk to anyone in order to get started with the platform. And we continue to work on that. So that's been always an iterative process. But the reason for self-service was, hey, we have a large market, a large customer base and personas. It's not like one ICP. We can go into the challenges marketers have with having multiple ICPs. So yeah, self-service was the only way we saw ourselves scale that way. Yeah. Was there fear in making that decision? PLG, self-service, freemium in general, take a really, really long time to get going off the ground. Once they work, they start to have compounding effects, which is great. But when you are starting, you wonder, why am I wasting so much time trying to acquire like $10 customers here and there? Like this doesn't even cover like basic expenses. When will this ever even add up, right? So there are people out there where with 100 customers selling like $50,000 contracts, they're you know able to cover all of their server costs, be profitable. So I think sales-led is probably the fastest way to revenue. Freemium PLG is very difficult, very expensive, and you're not making a lot of money in the beginning. You also have to give the same VIP service to the pre-user and the $10 user that these enterprises are giving to their 100K users. In the beginning, it feels very wrong, very off. And a lot of people feel the urge that PLG is not going to work. My belief is that freemium isn't a monetization strategy necessarily. It's a customer acquisition strategy. It's a brand strategy. And so if you want to create that community and create that flywheel, we had to put in the hard yards. The one fortunate thing for us was meetings are naturally viral. And so as people use it, they're going to be able to get other people to see Fireflies. They see the Fireflies note taker on Zoom calls and so forth. And it gets a discussion going. And so we banked on meetings being viral, meaning our product would be viral, and then freemium would have some sort of viral loop and compounding effect. But yeah, we had a lot of issues in the beginning thinking about doing this because $10 for a user, right? That was our starting price is not a lot in the world of SaaS, when you have a process or tool that's extremely expensive, you know, $10, right? Over a year, that's like $120 subscription. In the past, to transcribe a two-hour meeting, it would cost $120. And now we're in a place where people are having unlimited meetings, and they're paying that for the entire year. The entire way we had to build engineer architect had to also change for scale. Can you tell us about the time when you realized oh shit, we've made it. We've reached a critical mass. <laughs> we're profitable. And like, where were you? What was that feeling? Yeah, I think the first initial experience was when we had people that we did not even know come to our website, sign up, put in their credit card. That was pretty early into the journey within a few months. And when they were able to do that, like we knew that, okay, there's something here where we don't have to talk to the customer, they can go and purchase on their own, and they're getting value from it. And then afterwards, we always talk to our customers, getting customer feedback and stuff. So for me, it's about you should always be talking to your customers and learning from them and getting feedback from them. That I think every product manager, customer success person should do. And that directly helps your marketers too understand how you want to sell the product, how you need to frame it. So the voice of the customer is super important. In fact, Fireplus we use Fireflies to capture the voice of the customer. I think that was really helpful. But what was that initial moment was, hey, I did not have to hop on a sales call to convince this person to buy the product. 
So seems something is working, seems like our sales website, our landing page, our copy, all those things start to be working. And a person can self navigate. Once we had that we had the conviction, okay, we can build something. Now the next part is the grind. It was a multi year grind to try to get there. And it's not easy. Having to get a person to choose you over a few other platforms out there. We were early to market. So that was a little bit easier. But giving you attention, like the currency in this world, whether it's SaaS, whether it's a consumer good, whatever it is, is attention. Why should a customer give you attention enough that they should pull their wallet out and buy your product? So if you don't get that value, and if people only see you as a vitamin and not a painkiller, that's hard because there's a lot of really cool generative AI type SaaS products and tools that have come out this past year where they had this astronomical rise and then drop. It's because they were vitamins. And that was a really like big issue for some of these things. And as I talked to investors who evaluate these businesses, we didn't want to be just a vitamin. So we had to continue to also figure out how do you retain these customers and create value for them? All right. I want to dive into our topic around building for and making a case for self-service. So, I mean, literally, Chris, every report that you read today, every data point, every survey, all points to that the vast majority of B2B buyers want a self-serve process, either in part of it or all of it. Despite that, there are still many companies, um, specifically software companies, who have not made any changes to even get close to this model. What's up with that? What is the hesitation? That is a very good point. And I think the problem is when you don't put the customer first, that makes it challenging. And so a lot of times when these businesses are doing the things that they are doing, they're thinking about what's going to help them with their bottom line the most. And so that's why when you go to a typical B2B SaaS product, you can't really understand the product. You need to talk to sales before you can try it. And you need to be able to have a lot of these issues where like, hey, I have to book a demo. I got to talk to you. I got to like, and sometimes you're not even getting the product on the first call, especially if you go to like a enterprise product, they're doing like a full one hour discovery before they set up a follow-up call and try to figure out how to present the solution to you. So I get that all well and good on the sales motion and salespeople have their own incentive. But I think the nature of the world that we're entering is that brands need to align with self-service. And the reason I say that is half of the buying decision is already done before they come to you today. Information is accessible everywhere on the internet and people are doing their research. They're comparing a bunch of different products. So it's not like in the 1990s or something where you had to rely on the salesperson to be your gatekeeper. And I believe that 91% of customers that we talk to want to know and understand how the product works and everything on their own before they're able to even go and say like, hey, let's have a conversation around commercials or other aspects of it. And a large amount of customers also want to be able to solve their own product issues on their own. They don't enjoy talking to support or talking to sales about how to implement and so forth. So I think like having FAQs, having product marketing content, all of those things were a way to say, hey, here's the tools uh, if you want to help yourself. If you have further questions, we have videos and other resources. If that's not enough, we're happy to have someone sit with you and help you because there's still going to be a percentage of customers that need the demo. So we offer that solution as well. 
But in general, I feel like people want to put that sales demo form in front so that they can figure out how to maximize the revenue that they can extract from each customer. Whereas when you're self-service and you have pricing up on the page, you're being very transparent and you're not making special deals or discounting or any of that stuff. It's like what you see is what you get. So you probably have to price for the lower end of the market as a result. For sure. And the the top two things that buyers want from vendors in the self-serve process are free trials and transparent pricing. And the pricing, I certainly have experienced this. I'm going to go find the pricing anywhere I can. If it's not on your website, I'm going to go try and find it somewhere else. And I've hit, hit a situation where I'm going to find it anyway, and then it's not right. Even if I have to talk to a sales rep, eventually we're going to have to talk pricing. So wouldn't you rather knock me out of the running knowing that I was looking to spend 10K and you're 100K? versus wasting your and I's time on a call, just say it up front. But there are so many who are hesitant to put pricing on their website. Why is that? Well, a lot of times for enterprise customers, the pricing can be convoluted. So the other thing about PLG, it's as much pricing and packaging as it is about going to market with a, a strategy of acquiring customers. And you have to make pricing really easy to understand. And you need to make pricing that scales based on utility, whether it's seats, whether it's consumption, whatever it is. And what tends to happen is for these sort of enterprise products. And when you have salespeople, again, this is not meant to harp on salespeople, it's just the way that SaaS sales is built. They are spending X amount of time hiring SDRs and account executives. And a lot of times SDRs are now reporting into the marketing function because they're really about demand generation you are spending human hours on that. It's very coin operated, right? In order for you to scale your revenue, you need to hire X number of salespeople. And when you get into that world of sales, these people need to do demos, they need to close, they have quotas to hit, and they have commissions to make. And in order to feed that engine, you need to have high prices and you need to figure out how do you get uh, high prices. It does not make sense for a salesperson to hop on a call and then sell a $10, $100 per month product. It just will not pay the bills, commissions, and so forth. So naturally, those sales-assisted companies are working with products which have very high ACV. They're doing SMB. They're just very efficient, and they're working like clockwork. I think that's kind of the main function for not including pricing on there is because they want to figure out what is the max amount I can get a customer to spend. Whereas in PLG and self-service, the way we approach it is, what is the least amount we can provide the product at where we're making a really good margin still, but for the customer, it's a no-brainer. And I don't even want to have a discussion around discounting and pricing. Like, we're just going to be the best and most competitive on the market. Yeah, we're willing to leave some money on the table in exchange not to create friction in the buying journey. So now you're putting the customer first, and it's really like the Amazon model of being customer-obsessed and allowing them to get that product experience without having to talk to sales. For brands who have yet to offer, let's put the sort of the complicated enterprise sale to the side. For brands who have yet to offer a free trial, just different than freemium model, but let's say a free trial, what advice do you have around like setting parameters for a free trial? Or if you're going to be doing that for the first time, what are things that you need to be aware of or keep in mind? Free trials are effective in the sense that it can be time-based or it can be consumption-based. So if you use up credits by X amount or seven days, 14 days, etc. What's really important for a free trial, though, is that you're activating that customer during that journey 
and you're actually getting them through the motions. Is 14 days enough for you? Is seven days enough for you? Does 30 days need to be there? So what steps do you need a customer to take to get to that aha moment in that limited window of time? And how much customer education do they need? Is that a time when you actually maybe need to have a salesperson go in and assist? So I believe in a combination of where sales is there to assist rather than gatekeep. So if there is opportunities for that, you probably need to get your person involved at that point in the journey. And again, not all products lend themselves towards PLG. If you're building an enterprise security product where you need to sign off from the CIO of a company and you need to get like a lot of work done and potential POCs done, yeah, by all means, don't have pricing up on your website. By all means, go talk to that person, do discovery. It's a different selling process. But I'm talking about the majority of other SaaS productivity sales enablement platforms, which really don't have a complicated product, don't need to have a complicated buying cycle, but they choose to make it complicated. But the challenge here is if you're going through with a free trial or even a freemium experience, there's no point in just getting that sign up if that person is not going through the hoops and understanding and utilizing that product. So you have to design your marketing journey around when do I send them educational content? When do I get them to discover new features? And that's forever a work in progress. It's very iterative in cycle. So that's something I would also say. And then switching to the freemium model. So getting them in the door is one thing and then getting them to become a paying customer is another and through, increase through those tiers. Same question around um, freemium and turning into paid customers, things to keep in mind, lessons that you've learned. With freemium, you have to be able to be okay with a customer converting after a very long period of time, right? Like Slack's freemium, like you'd have a customer that converts after six months. Are you willing to have that window of time? And are you willing to bear the cost of supporting a free user? What if that free user never upgrades? Are you okay with dealing with that? So these are all questions that founders have to ask themselves early on. And sometimes some founders say, it's not worth my time and the cost of supporting all these free users, all these support tickets, all these infrastructure costs. So I'm going to go with a free trial or pay to play model. And so you have to understand like, is freemium actually helping you on monetization? Is it helping you on distribution? And do your unit economics work? I can almost tell you most of our competition in this market, freemium is costing them lots and lots of money to do. And it doesn't make sense for them to do that. They're only doing it because we do it. We've set the bar that they have to compete at. But we're okay with that because we built our infrastructure and things at scale where freemium pays off over time. The marketing and distribution that we get from freemium allows us to make money in the long run. So it's my willingness to be patient and give things away for free in effort to see that a customer finds value and eventually pays for it, covers for itself. So that's actually a really important thing is a lot of AI companies are coming out today because it's generative AI is so interesting. I want to refer to this where they're spending hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on giving some of their tools away for free, but then they're not actually getting conversion. They have churn issues. So freemium from a unit economics point of view is very challenging. So even if you get the distribution, maybe you're not getting the right type of customers. So you have to think about is freemium allowing me to get to where I want? The reason we do freemium is because we're very anti-outbound. So we wanted freemium to create a pool of customers who then we can help get to that next level of that journey. 
rather than going and sending a million cold emails and doing cold outreach. Like we never wanted to be in the business of doing that. So we said, let them come to us and find value. The last part I would say about freemium is paywalls and all these things. You can try to experiment. You can do all these sort of things. But ultimately, conversion rates on freemium is generally very low. It's very expensive. And it goes back to what I said earlier is you're selling a $10 product and that person converts to that $10 plan after six months. 90% of business models, especially in DC-backed world, will support that. It's cool that PLG became the flavor of the month these like past one to two years. But when we started, it was really frowned upon. Now VCs get behind it like it's the second coming of like go to market. But there were a lot of VCs that were fully against that. So I think that if you have a product that's actually expensive to support, it's very challenging. One example I will give is, and this is not even like a purely freemium product, but it's like an add-on, like GitHub Copilot, which allows engineers to write automatic code. I believe they price their product at $10 per month, but I read some reports that they're actually burning $20 per user. So you're actually losing money because that's how expensive AI and large language models are. So we are now entering a world where the cost of software for at least this period in time is not free. Before, it's just shipping code on the internet. Bye. But now AI actually has an expensive unit to it. So a lot of people will quickly realize, hey, premium is just going to like drain lots of money and resources. Yeah. Um, so that's one way AI is affecting the SaaS industry. How else do you see AI, whether that is helping, hurting, either? How do you, else do you see AI impacting this space here in the next, let's call it one to three years? Yeah, well... Because a lot of marketers are listening to this, I think it's an exciting time for marketers to be able to build in this world. And I'm not even talking about the simple things that AI can do, like help you do copywriting and all of this stuff. But the level of personalization and understanding that you can get about your customers and how you can tailor all of that messaging. So in the beginning, we talked about multiple ICPs. We have salespeople, marketers, engineers, product managers, ops people, all these different personas that use Fireflies today. And they all leave different types of feedback. They give different types of inputs, different feature requests, all of that stuff. It was just not humanly possible to go through all of that information and create like these ICPs. We actually use AI in our own internal tools and services to understand and analyze all the different personas and how they're doing. And then we deliver a tailored experience. This could be from your email strategy. This could be from your onboarding strategy. AI can allow you to do personalization at scale. The ABM account-based marketing tactics that you have to do for large enterprises, you can now do at scale for even the smallest customers. And I think AI is going to allow that. And that's my contrarian take. But that ABM, that level of touch, rather than a spammy email, just a lot of multiple touch points and tailored touch points based on activities and what's unique about them. I think AI can understand a customer really well, and you can now do it at scale for even those $10 users. We've also talked quite a bit about salespeople. And I know at one point you already qualify and we're like, I'm not you know, throwing shade at salespeople or saying we don't need salespeople. The reality is that the data points to B2B buyers not wanting to speak with sales reps. I mean, Receiving a cold call is, has literally been ranked as the number one reason that someone will not buy your product. And I believe sales reps has dropped out of like the top five resources that B2B buyers use in order to make a purchase decision. That being said, reiterating, not throwing shade at salespeople, there is a place. What does your sales org look like? Have you grown it? And where do you see them plugging in? Because you've said, let people buy the way that they want to buy. And there are certainly folks who do require 
a bit more of a conventional sales approach. So how are you structured and where does your sales team plug in? It's funny because during this podcast, I've had four calls that came in most likely around this time from SDRs or outbound salespeople hitting the phones, right? Do you ever answer? I leave it to voicemail. Sometimes I answer because I think it's an important, urgent call. And then it's very hard because I'm lost for context on what are they exactly like calling about? What is the service? And like, for me, I'm the type of person where I don't like to get into a meeting unless like they've provided some agenda or like, why are we having this meeting? So fun fact, the reason we built Fireflies is because we actually hate meetings, not because we love meetings. And if I could and take like zero meetings, I would. And I like to clear my calendar out as much as possible. And in our team internally, we have very few meetings. And Fireflies helps so that if I can't attend a meeting, it'll attend on my behalf and I can get up usually helps me stay super informed. But that's like the other thing is they're spending a lot of their time and energy hitting the phones. And we're spending a lot of time and energy like getting caught off guard. There will be some people that swear by it, that outbound cold emails, cold calling works. And maybe for their business, maybe in the, in the thing. But I just feel like in SaaS, it's been so saturated. Think about if you're a VP of sales and everyone's trying to tell you the, sell you that next sales enablement tool and they're like pounding the phones, you probably are getting blasted with emails and phone calls because you're their ICP, you, you need to buy. So the whole point around PLG and self-service is also to help you find more buyers and find different people within the org who can then go up to their executives and say, hey, I've been using this. I like it. Maybe we should consider it. That's a much more powerful source than what, what comes out of this. And I think the last point I would try to make around all of this play that people do with outbound and self-service versus self-service is that ultimately, it's about customer education. And if a customer is not understanding why they should even have a conversation, like if it's a long-winded email or long-winded call, and I'm not understanding what's going on. Also, it could be a great product, but if it's not a priority in terms of what my org is looking to solve right now, could be wrong timing. So a lot of times there is, it's a lottery that you are hitting up someone where they're thinking about the same issues that your product solves. And that's something you can't control for, right? And then recently, Outreach and Sales Loft and some of these other companies have sent out reminders to their customer bases that there are new email spam laws coming into place, which is going to make it more and more difficult to just blast a ton of outbound. So I just saw this on LinkedIn the other day where they put that up saying, we're going to like limit the number of emails you send, or there's a high chance those emails could get uh, flagged as spam. Keeping all that aside, like how we think about sales at our org, we think about it more as customer onboarding and customer success. So if the customer wants to buy on their own, they can. Uh, if they need help or they need a, a further explanation or uh, assistance, they can reach out for a demo. We have our customer onboarding managers who will help you get through the process. You're probably 50%, 90% into the buying journey or already purchased the product. Uh, we're still there to help. So that's the whole mindset as far as it's like a form of advanced customer support, in my opinion and someone that can help you maximize and get more util utility out of the product. Most of those conversations are not even about pricing or discounting, etc. Like it's like, oh, you want 20 seats? Well, here's how the pricing works. And it's just very transparent. What you see is what you get. Okay, we talk about discounting. Okay, well, looks like you're in hundreds of seats. You should qualify for that. But here's what it is. We want to be one of the first companies to even have our enterprise pricing where it says contact us 
we want to just put that out there. So not many companies do that. Very few companies like Atlassian do this. But we're going to the extreme saying we're figuring out what our enterprise product will look like. But once we figure out like the core feature set and stuff, we very much want to just have that pricing up and visible for everyone. So that's crazy. Is it crazy? I don't know. It doesn't seem crazy after this conversation. It seems like what you should be doing if you're able and it's not, you know, your pricing is it's super complicated. Something you said earlier was a world that I lived into, which was sitting in meetings and watching an assistant take notes. I go back as far as they would physically take notes on a notebook like that. That's how old I am. Then you saw this problem, create a solution. We're living in the future of work that everybody already predicted, right? We're sort of there. So where do you see the future of work headed? The future work is all about agents and everyone's already been drumming up the the beat on this. The idea that we're going to have AI agent-like teammates that can do work for us. ChatGPT is just one agent. The Firefly's AI note taker is one agent. And there will be hundreds of thousands of different agents. We could see a company where it's 20 people and then 10 of those people are agents. So these AI agents that do work for you. And in fact, we believe in this model so much that we're going to be building out our own agent app store where you can essentially build your own agent or pick an agent that's going to do different functions. So I'll give some simple ones that are already out on the app store. If you have board meetings, well, you're going to have a board meeting specific note taker that's going to take notes tailored just for board meetings. If you're uh, a recruiter and you're doing a lot of screening interviews, well, you can use instead of the generic Fireflies note taker, you'll have a recruiting note taker that takes notes specifically for that. You can have a quality assurance agent that's going to go in and really qualify and understand what the customer was saying and then score that customer and do some lead scoring. So agents in our world is going to be everything that you can do on top of conversational data. So in a way, Fireflies is really building this conversational data platform. The AI note taker is one agent and there's going to be hundreds of other agents. So that's how I see the future of work where everyone's going to have their own chat GPT like assistants, or they're going to have agents that do different work. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Chris, this has been a great conversation. Is there anything that we didn't tackle that you wanted to make sure that we talked about? I think we covered a lot of interesting topics. Again, salespeople, enterprise people, not to harp on like how, how, no, I think that there are times when I need to talk to folks in order to get the information I need. It's just that if you are an early stage founder, early stage marketer, you have to really ask yourself that question. Do I build this business because I'm trying to get to a certain revenue goal? Or do I build this go to market based on what's going to be the easiest experience for the customer? And that will lead you down completely different paths. And one will actually be more favorable for you in the long run. Uh, and don't be afraid to go with your gut. You received advice and you went completely the opposite direction because it, it just didn't align with how you're feeling. It didn't align with you know what you ultimately believed. And there's power in that. So also don't be afraid to follow your own heart in those types of decisions because you know where would you be if you would have listened to who you thought were the experts in the room? So love that. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This was great. I wrote this down. So this is going to be my cheers to end it is be the painkiller, not the vitamin. That was new to me. I love that. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Chris for joining me on SaaS Half Full. That conversation flew by. 
love a lot of the lessons and also really enjoyed hearing about his journey and seeing a problem, going with his gut, maybe going against the grain and the advice that he received to build his company to be the success that it is today. I always appreciate y'all tuning in. If you liked this episode, check out a few others. We've been doing this thing for three years. Thanks again. And until next time, bottoms up.